was born. Son of God, yet Son of Man, all according to God's plan. For this is He who grew to be, Jesus Christ of Calvary. That's got a great message to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Closing in on Christmas here. Wow. Sure was a lot more exciting whenever I was the one getting all the gifts. It's still all right, I guess. But it's, it's just different, isn't it? Remember those days when you were young? I mean, really young. Wow, I can't forget them. And they just kind of, well, I guess I could, and maybe I will one day. I don't know. Uh, but uh, for right now, I don't forget them at least. And, uh, well, I'll tell you what, those are some good memories. If you have some good memories, hold on to them and embrace them and, and be thankful for them. Not everybody does. Not everybody does have good memories of Christmas. But uh, thank God for the ones that do. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. The Bible says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the masteries is tempered in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but... I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. 
We've been dealing with this passage for some time on Wednesdays, and again, we note that there's a race in verse 24, and we see that the writer recognizes that the believer has that race to run and that the goal is to win. We said that in verse 25, we note the reward. The reward uh, is one that he understands to be eternal. The payoff is eternal. And he keeps his eyes understanding that it's not just temporal, it's not just for today, but it's also for tomorrow. You see, we see the response of the writer as well. He doesn't want to get sidetracked. He doesn't want to lose sight of the finish line. And finally, in verse 27, we see the resolve. He's cautious to take steps to remain in that race, to ultimately finish the race, to finish strong. Again, he begins strong, but he wants to finish strong. And so as we began to look over this particular passage, we said that every believer ought to be genuinely concerned about not only running the race, but finishing strong. And so we began to look at that passage, and we said, let's consider the problem. What will keep us from not only running the race, but finishing strong? And we said, well, the depravity of society. It's so wicked and sinful out there. If we're not careful, we can be sidetracked. We said the drought of Scripture, the fact that we're so anemic when it comes to the Bible. We know so little about it that we really, in reality, we... We couldn't quote enough scriptures probably to, you know, ward off a, uh, you know, a fly, let alone Satan himself. And so the drought of scripture. And then we said the depth of spirituality, which, of course, we've noted and have reminded ourselves that in many cases, it's a matter of a couple of inches thick and two miles wide. But then we said, well, what's the prescription then? We, we understand there's a problem and if we're going to run this race and we're going to finish strong. Obviously, there's a problem, but... What's the prescription? Well, we said, number one, realize that your battle is a spiritual one. Number two, we said, avoid contact with your area of weakness. Number three, we said, avoid relationships that would lead you astray. Number four, we noted, saturate yourself with the Word of God. Number five, we said... Choose resistance and not the path of least resistance. Number six, and last week we said, visualize the consequences of your sin. And so today we want to pick up and begin where we left off. And we want to address this issue or part of the prescription. Be accountable. Be accountable. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to you. Again, we thank you for just what we've heard already tonight, for just uh, the privilege and opportunity to sing Christmas songs that, Father, uh, point to you and remind us again of your birth here on this earth. Lord, if it wasn't for that birth, there'd be no life. If there was no life, there'd be no sacrifice on Calvary. We thank you for becoming a man and taking our place on Calvary, being the propitiation for our sin. Lord, we just ask tonight that once again, as we delve into this very practical thought, Lord, uh, this, this idea of how to overcome sinful lifestyles and habits, that, Lord, you'd enable us, Father, to see these truths, but then also apply them. We love you now. We need you tonight. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat> so, number seven, and there's only eight, so we're really closing in. We may be finished tonight. I, I trust we'll be finished tonight. But be accountable. Be accountable. Now, here's the fallacy. I can handle it. I can handle it. 
That's the fallacy. But the fact is this, you haven't yet. Isn't it amazing how many drunks will come to you and say, I could quit any time I wanted. Oh, 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 that's right. You mean your family's falling apart, your marriage is wrecked in ruin. Oh, there's no food on the table and you're over here, uh, you know, uh, missing out on family events because you can't seem to get away from the bottle. You've lost your job now. The world is upside down, but you could quit any time you really wanted. No, the fact is, is that you haven't yet. So don't tell me that you could or can or will. But then there's the freedom. You have to admit your need for help. You've got to do that. And I know you say, well, this isn't a 10-step program, I hope. No, it's not a 10-step program, but let me tell you something. There's some things about that program that are really, in reality, years ago, that was based on biblical principle. Oh, we've gotten away from it today, and, and Alcoholics Anonymous and all of that has kind of strayed from its original roots, but reality is, is that in the beginning of it all, they really, many of those principles were grounded and found in the Word of God. And one of those things is this, you better admit your need for help. And I don't care, you can call it, uh, you, can, you can call it any program you like, but every single time there's change in your life or in my life, there's discomfort first. Until you get uncomfortable, until you become bothered by it, until it becomes a real problem, then you're not going to deal with it and you're not going to face it. You need to admit to yourself that you have a need and that you need help. That's the only way that freedom will eventually come. Also, appeal to both God and others for that help. Of course, we need the Lord. But I think, again, once again, we fool ourselves. We convince ourselves that we don't need anybody's help. We can do it on our own. We just, as long as I've got God. How spiritual does that sound? But how ridiculous is it? When we are so bound in our sin and we are so taken captive by Satan, and then we turn around and say things like, well, I'm just going to trust God. I'm going to let God and me work it out. Oh, man, me and God, God's big enough and I can trust God. You haven't been able to do it so far. Why in the world do you think you can now handle it? Appeal to both God and others for that help. And finally, apply principles and place roadblocks in your way to keep you from your weakness. Apply principles and, uh, and, and place roadblocks in your way to keep you from your weakness. Now, these roadblocks cannot be movable. And that's why we need accountability. If I place a roadblock in my way and say that's what stands between me and my sin and nobody else is around but me and my sin, all I need to do is move the roadblock. I move the roadblock and I indulge in my sin. But if I have somebody, stand up Cody, somebody that I'm accountable to, in the back of my mind always I'm thinking if I move that roadblock, He's going to know it. Not only that, but if he has access to the roadblock and he's the only one that can control the roadblock, then I can't move it whether I want to or not. And it keeps me from my sin. And somebody that's ultra-spiritual will say, yes, well, I think that you shouldn't do things just out of duty. I think it ought to be of the heart. Oh, really? Well, tell that to a wife that's crying because her husband is out drinking on Christmas Eve instead of with the family at home. 
I think she'd be glad for him to feel the pressure of an accountability partner and do it out of duty instead of just doing what he wants anyway. Tell that to a mother whose heart's broken because her son is a drug addict and the only time he visits is when he wants to take some money, steal some money, or beg and borrow some. I think they'd be more than happy to see them looking nice, acting nice, and living right, even though at the time being it was because somebody else was looking over their shoulder. Maybe seated, brother. Now, in our lessons over these last weeks, we noted a number of things in the prescription to, you know, overcome sinful lifestyles and habits. We start talking about accountability. I can look at these particular um, prescriptions or parts of it, and I could say very carefully and very simply, number two, avoid contact with your area of weakness. Well, that's something that an accountability partner would help you with. Not only that, number three says, we have number three, it says, avoid relationships that would lead you astray. If you're wise and you have an accountability partner, you would say to them, if I am ever put myself in a position where I'm close to others that might discourage me or cause me to slip or maybe tempt me in the wrong direction, then I need you to step up and help me. You allow yourself to be accountable to that person for your friends and those that you're around. And then I see even number four, where it says, saturate yourself with the Word of God. Boy, that would be a good thing to be accountable to an accountability partner for. To actually tell them and show them and be accountable for what you're doing in God's Word. Oh, I understand that God is pleased with our heart when it's right with Him. That it begins in the heart. I know that. But let me tell you something. When you're dealing with a sin in your life and you're being overwhelmed by it and overcome by it and the sin's getting the victory and Satan's getting the victory. Let me tell you something. I don't care why you stop it. I think any reason to stop is a good reason. And then we'll let God worry about your motives down the road. A pastor that's embezzling money would do well just to stop embezzling money, even if his heart is to steal. And we'd say, oh, absolutely, I don't think he should be doing that. I don't care if he wants to do it or not, he shouldn't do it. Yeah, but then we'll turn around and in this spirituality, this idea that, that somehow, well, I'll get right with God when my heart changes because I don't want to be a hypocrite. Oh, yeah, you're so spiritual that you'll just continue in sin. It makes no sense. So, Accountability. You need to find somebody that you can trust not to blab your, your life to everyone. You better be careful who you pick. Not only that, but you better pick somebody that you can't, that you can't manipulate. Somebody that really doesn't care how you feel about it. Well, I'm just going to get my good friend. As long as your good friend's a friend enough to wound you, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But the fact is, most of us don't like people around us that wound us. We want people around us that stroke our egos. We want people around us to tell us how wonderful we are and how hard we're trying. Oh, you're trying so hard. I I realize, I understand why you're not doing this. Because you're trying so hard and it's been so overwhelming for you. No, they need to rip your stinking face off.
By the way, I've got a suggestion for every man in the room. Every man that's married. In the Word of God, in Genesis 2, 18, the Bible says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him an help meet for him. You know, we're quick as husbands to want our wives to help us with the kids, the house, the bills, the yard, our needs, or a number of other things. But when it comes to accountability, we're not so enthusiastic. It's funny how we'll say, I don't think she needs to be burdened down with that. Well, you burden her down with everything else. And you know, what I found is this. My wife's probably a little more concerned about my morality, my purity, my life, than anybody else in this world. She has more at stake to lose than anybody else in this world. And yet, I'm going to, you know why I really don't want her to be my accountability partner? Because she knows too much about me. Because she would have all the ends, and she would have access to everything if I really yielded. And furthermore, my wife, I'm the man of the house, and she's not going to tell me what to do. Oh, yeah, you're a big man on campus, all right. You're so big that you're letting a sin rule your life and destroy your marriage and your family, probably. Yeah, good for you. You just go ahead and be that man you are. While you rip and destroy everything God's given you. And then you want to blame someone or something else for why it all fell apart. You'll probably blame her anyway. I don't know one person bound by sin that I've ever met that really takes full responsibility for their sin. I've never met them. They always got an excuse. Got somebody that, you know, is partially to blame. All I'm saying is, and listen, it, it, once they come to the conclusion that it's their responsibility, then they're on the road to recovery. They're making it now. They're ready to take steps. But let me just say, gentlemen, I think that you're struggling with a few areas of your life. You really want it to stop. You really want to be accountable. I think God's already given you that help meet. I think you'd do well maybe just to say, I'm struggling in this area. And honestly, it's whooping me. I need your help in this area. You say, I I could never say that. I'd be afraid she'd leave. No, she wouldn't leave you. Not if you were honest enough to be honest. I think there's a a lot of wives that would be glad to hear it from your mouth instead of find out on their own one day. I'm sorry, but I'm not like everybody I know. You may have to give her access to your phone, your tablet, your password, your... Your accounts. You, you, may, you, may not, you may have to just hand something over to her and let her have it instead of you having it. Okay. That's not going over too good. Yeah. I, I understand. We're just trying to save your life, your marriage, your family. That's all. You mark my words. The person that thinks that's foolish, there'll be somebody that think that's foolish that before it's over within the next year or two, three or four, is going to find themselves in a mess. I'm telling you, don't, don't, don't just take all the stuff we've been talking about over these last weeks lightly. Sin will destroy you. It, it will kill you. Satan wants nothing but to re- wreck and ruin you and devour you. Number, number eight. Number eight. Walk in the Spirit. You know, the prescription includes walking in the Spirit. How, how to overcome sinful lifestyles and habits. 
Man, we've, we've had a number of good, practical thoughts. But when it's all said and done, we have to walk in the Spirit of God. I mean, He is the power. Remember at Pentecost when the Spirit of God came down, that's when they were empowered to do the work God called them to do. And let me tell you, there's not one person in this room that is capable in their own strength to overcome sin in their life. There's not one of us that can have victory over this flesh in our own ability, in our own self-will. It doesn't work that way. Oh, and I know, I know we can, we grow up and, and we're told, you know, you have to have strong willpower. And listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I grew up hearing that. I, I knew how important it was to be able to, to motivate yourself and to move yourself and to push yourself and to not quit. And man, I'll tell you what, those are, that's good training. That's good character. And that's something that we ought to encourage our children. You learn to say no to yourself and you learn to say yes to yourself. Get up out of that bed when you don't feel like it and, and get to school when you don't feel like it and take a bath when you don't feel like it. Please. And, uh, and brush your teeth because I have to pay for the dentist bill when you don't. And, and all of the things that, that we were forced to do that maybe we don't even feel like doing, that's okay and that's good. But let me tell you something. And the, re- the reality is this in the Christian life. It is a spiritual warfare. We noted that, number one, right off the bat. Remember, this is a spiritual battle. And if we don't understand that right off the bat, we won't see the need to be filled with the Spirit. And if you're not filled with the Spirit, you will not win. You'll lose. Galatians 5.16. Turn there if you would, please. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says, This I say then, Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, again, the lust of the flesh has to do with a lot of things. It's not just the big sins. We're talking about just the lust of the flesh. We deal with lust every day of our life. And, and it doesn't necessarily have to be moral. It, it can be ethical. It can be all kinds of things. But if we're walking in the Spirit according to this passage, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Well, that means then that we're going to have victory in a number of areas of our life. It, 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 it's not just one or two, but in many areas. If you would poll people in general, if you would just go into the public and, 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 and as I do, even uh, counseling with a number of different people, sometimes saved, sometimes lost, I'll often ask them what they want most in life. What do they really want out of life? And I found a few themes that seem to come up consistently. Number one, they'll say happiness or joy. Good thing to want, isn't it? I want to be happy. I want to, I, want to, I, want to, I want to have joy in my life. Number two, they'll say, I, I just want, some, I want love and companionship. That's, that's a biggie. Understandably so. We, God created us with fellowship in mind. Obviously, we crave fellowship and companionship. No doubt about that. And number three, another one that I see pops up often is they'll say, just want some peace. It seems like those three seem to, they stumble upon those three. Some of them, all three, and some people maybe one of the three, others two of the three, but those three seem to kind of always come to the surface. You know, what, what is it you want out of life? What is it you're looking for? What is it that you really crave and desire? Well, uh, let me think about that. Um, well, Happiness. 
love, peace. Well, let's turn to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. This particular passage outlines and reveals to us the fruit of the Spirit. Not fruits, the fruit. It's very important to understand that. Notice what it says in Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Now, that's interesting to me. When you really, you look at the, the Word of God and you start looking at the fruit of the Spirit, you know what I found, and it was kind of interesting, kind of stumble across this, uh, heard maybe somebody talk about this, read something in a book, uh, listen to folks in counseling, and it all kind of comes together, and I go, wow, there is a correlation then between what mankind really craves and desires and what God wants for mankind. Isn't it interesting, as we look at the passage, we realize that what we want is exactly what God wants for us. And the very fruit of the Spirit, the first of those listed are the very ones that are at the top of every person's list, it seems to me. They want love. They want joy and happiness. They want peace. And God says, you know how you get that? Being filled with the Spirit. If you're filled with the Spirit, then you will know Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance against such. There is no law. You will experience those things. They'll be a part of your life and you will demonstrate them in your life toward others even. It's interesting how quick we are to substitute for the real thing. Instead of the real thing, instead of really embracing this idea of being filled with the Spirit that demands purity, that demands holiness, that demands a dedicated heart and life to Jesus Christ. We'll go ahead and discard that and we'll try to put something else in place to muster it up, to make it happen. I'm so happy today. Why are you happy? I just got a brand new car. Yeah, that's good for the first month till you got to pay the bill. I don't know about you, but I often have buyer's remorse. I get that when I go to McDonald's half the time. But the fact is, is that, is that we, 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 we why are you so, so excited and so happy today? Well, I, I met this girl. Life is good, brother! Until she dumps you. I'm just saying we're always trying to substitute for the real thing. When the Holy Spirit of God is the only one that can provide us with what we really want. Only the God of heaven can give us exactly what we crave and what we desire and what we were created for. So how... how we could spend... Oodles and endless time talking about this. But the fact is, is, let's just make it as simple as we can. You will never, ever, ever be filled with the Spirit till you care how you appear before God. And number two, that you care whether you obey Him or not. 
You, you have to be concerned about how you look to God and how you act before Him. And, and I'm not going to go into all the details, but you must have a concern for those things. It's not just a matter of going to say, Lord, fill me, praise the Lord, God, I'm thankful. And by the way, Lord, you know, uh, uh, you know make sure that my, my, my drugs and my alcohol don't burn up tonight in a, a house fire. So, Lord, just fill me now. No, that doesn't work like that. But I'll tell you this, if your heart is truly to please God with your life, and you're willing to be obedient to the Lord, and all you, do, all you need to do is ask, He'll fill you. But your heart has to... That's where this heart has to play a factor. So the question is, how much do you want it? How much do you want Him, really? Because, see, once again, to be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with Him. He is the one who provides us with love, joy, peace. Well, so we've noted then a number of things. And the prescriptions, it's not real complicated, but it does take an element of effort. You say, what's the payoff? Well, real quickly, here's the payoff. Well, we've seen the problem. We've noted the prescription, but what's the payoff then? Well, first of all, the payoff is a clear conscience. A clear conscience. In Acts chapter 24, verse 16, because of time, I'm going to read these. You may write them down if you like. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Isn't that interesting? It's not enough to just have your conscience clear before God. It has to be clear before men. Isn't that interesting? So what we see here is we're to have, if we're going to truly, um, ultimately, run this race and we're going to finish strong, then we need to apply this prescription. And when we do that, we will have a clear conscience as we run the race before God and man. We won't worry about running into somebody outside, in church, at work, for fear that we'll feel uncomfortable because we just... It won't be like that. It'll be like, hey, brother, how are you? Good to see you, man. Now, if they've hurt you or harmed you, did something to you, then obviously you've got a restraining order against them. They shouldn't be coming into contact with you. And I'm, I'm joking half, but I'm not joking. Let's say you got some nutcase after you. you got to deal with something. You deal with it. I understand stuff like that. But I'm saying when you have a personal problem with someone, don't tell me you're right with God. Your conscience has to be void, uh, clear, void of offense toward God and man. Clear conscience. That's what the payoff is when you truly apply these principles. B, or, or, or number two, a constant connection. Yeah, a clear conscience, but you have a constant connection. You say, what do you mean? Well, in Psalm chapter 24, verse 3 and 4, the Bible says, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. Then you'll have a connection with God. You'll be in a constant state of communion and fellowship because you have dealt with your sin, you've faced it, and you're going forward for God, and you're not being drowned in lust and drowned in sin. 
And you know what? The truth is the Bible tells us that those that are going to stand in His holy place, those that will truly stand before God, be in His presence and enjoy the fellowship that God alone can give us, He, hath, he must have clean hands and a pure heart. What, number three, and finally, the payoff, a clear conscience, a constant connection, but also a credible Christianity. A credible Christianity. What's the payoff? You say, man, hold, letting people hold me accountable and, 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 and being careful who my friends are and, and you know, trying to avoid you know, the, the area of my weakness and all those things. That's, that's, a, that's a lot of work. That's going to be difficult. Yeah, but the payoff is worth it because not only will you have a clear conscience before God and man, not only will you be in constant connection with the God of heaven, but also you'll have a credible Christianity. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. Notice what it says here. But thou hast fully known my doctrine. The Apostle Paul speaking now. Thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Notice, thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. What, what if we pulled, and this is scary for all of us, I think, a little bit. What if we pulled those closest to us? Those that saw us after we left the church. You know, like on the drive home. You know, those that see you in the morning. Those that live with you. Hear you. See you regularly, consistently. And we said, hmm. What is their life like? What is their character like? What is their Christianity like? Would they say, oh man, their doctrine is solid. Their manner of life, I mean, first class. Their purpose, they know exactly where they're going and what... God wants them to accomplish. Their faith is rock solid. I mean, they are long-suffering. They put up with people. They put up with me. They put up with everybody. They have such love and grace toward others. They're so patient with God and His plan, His purpose for their life. Oh, oh yeah, I've known. I know them. Is that what they'd say about you and me? That's why it's important that we apply some of these principles in this prescription, how to overcome sinful lifestyles and habits, because when we do that, then all of a sudden, we'll have that clear conscience, we'll have that constant connection, and we'll have a credible Christianity. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain... And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Hmm. 
May God help us to be genuinely concerned about the Christian race and about finishing strong. Father, we come to you. We thank you again just for this time that we've had together, this short time. But, Lord, we pray it's profitable. And, 